This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can just pull segments of the season for Judge and they overwhelm you. High fly ball, right field. There it goes. See ya. It is gone in the second day. Number 58. That is a Judgean blast. He's three away from Roger Maris. As he gets closer to the American League record, it's Judgment Day. And all rise. Here comes the judge. And the pitch. Deep to left. There it goes. He's run away from Bruce. Wow. That's homer number 59. Homer number 59 for Aaron Judge. RBI number 125. I mean, as great a year as probably any player's ever had. Only Roger Maris and Babe Ruth have ever hit more home runs in the season than Aaron Judge in the American League. Welcome to Ballpark Dimensions with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and the always wonderful Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, with us, we're going to have a special guest this week. We have our twins reporter, Do Hyung Park, joining us. Cannot wait to get to that. And Sarah, I laughed whenever you were texting me about this last night of uh, really hedging what we're talking about when it comes to Judge and Otani yet again. And it's just making sure we're not having any arguments about this. And it's 100% once again, I think, what what did we say? You need to calm down um, yep. for, for that episode. It, we're going to be along those lines again because these two are just unbelievable. It's been so much fun to watch them. So we'll get into all of that as probably expected. The Dodgers have been ridiculous as always and uh, right up your alley. So all we can do is just listen to slang stats during that. So that's fine with me. Um, But I think we can start a little bit more locally, at least for me. Um, I'm starting to be unzombie-like after two days ago of... I think you have it written in our document as Marathon Mandy uh, for the five-hour, 24-minute battle. I don't know if that's a battle. I don't know what that would be defined as, but between the Twins and the Guardians on Saturday night, and Sarah, it was your idea, and for some reason... Every day blends together, and I forgot that this series is somehow still going on Monday, that Doe would be in the same room as I am. Uh, Actually, you know, we have a wall between us somewhere, but uh, we're able to have our Twins reporter Doe with us, and then we can have all of our breakdown of that marathon. So, Sarah, thank you, one, for that idea. Oh, my goodness. So, you guys had quite the day at the ballpark on Saturday. And at some point in about the, what, 14th inning, I texted <laughs> the two of you, Mandy and Doe, and I was like, what, I don't even know what I said, but I was thinking of both of you. I was sitting here in my comfy chair at home right next to the couch 
watching this game, thinking about how you guys at that point have been at the ballpark for what, 13 hours? Yeah, it's about and a safe bet. I just bet. thought this was such an important series for the division, which we've talked about. And, you know, I'd like for us to give a little bit of the behind the scenes of a beat writer and what you guys do day to day. So I thought this was a perfect day to sum up. So, Doe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And how has your experience in Cleveland been <laughs> over the last uh, four days? I can't tell if I have just forgotten how long these five game wraparound series feel or if it's because <laughs> they played like the equivalent of three games that day where like 14th inning stretch and all. Um, and I love weird baseball. And at the end of there, I think it was just some level of delirium within everybody that was still in the ballpark by the end of that game. Uh, but uh, it's it's been a tiring weekend, that's for sure. Doe, were you sort of thinking along the same lines as I was going into, like, the maybe the ninth or right when we started extra innings of the 10th of, okay, this seems like one where either nobody's going to score for forever or if someone scores one, the other one's going to do it. I was convinced they were going to set the record for the longest extra innings game since the automatic runner came into play. Well, I think once it got to the 11th inning, I was like, oh yeah, this is going to go for a while. Uh, when the, I think it was the 13th inning in which the Twins pulled ahead. And then the Guardians answered back in the bottom of the 13th with another run. And I'm just sitting there like, I mean, of course, there's no other way this inning could have gone. I love that this day, again, we need to sum up the fact and we need to give you guys credit for the fact that this was the second game of a double header. Because I don't know, we kind of implied that, but we didn't say it straight up. So Mandy reached out to me in the ninth inning when Ahmed Rosario was at the plate because he had a four hit game in the first game. And in the second game, he had three hits. And she goes, hey, just curious, you know, who's the last guy? To have two four hit games in a day. And then she goes, Oh, never mind, you already made an out. And I, because it was a tie game, said over Slack, probably jinxing both of you in terms of your sleep schedules, I said, Oh, maybe in a few innings or something like that. Did the research anyway. We got the really fun list. He was the first guy to do that since 1994 because he did get up again what two or three more times and he did get that hit so I just think I mean everything you guys were doing was so impressive when you were so so sleep deprived but I do think we need to talk about this division and where it stands now especially after this series. As of the recording, we're talking right before you guys cover the final game of the series. But regardless of how that goes, I think we got a pretty good sense of where this division is going to go with how this weekend went. Yeah, I think it was a pretty critical weekend for the Twins far more so than the Guardians, who were the leaders in um, the division entering. And this was really the Twins' last gasp, so to speak. Um, this was the weekend they've been pointing to for quite some time, especially after the Guardians came in and swept them at Target Field in three games the week before this. Um, it was essentially, the message essentially was, listen, we're four games back coming into a five-game series against the division leaders. We control our destiny. 
this is where we have to take control. And credit to the Guardians. They just flat out outplayed the Twins all weekend. The Twins just didn't have the firepower. And there's a lot of reasons why that is from the 18 guys that are currently on the injured list. Uh, that's not a, a exaggeration in any way. It's literally 18 guys on the injured list or just kind of the penchant for the Twins to not be able to put together the starting pitching, relief pitching, and offensive contributions that have just been out of sync all year, and particularly so against the Guardians, um, which have led to just all kinds of crazy, late, heartbreaking losses, um, culminating in that 15-inning, five-hour, however-many-minute loss in that Saturday doubleheader that I think did functionally kind of put a bow on the uh, division race, at least as far as the Twins are concerned. It's not mathematically over, but it's tough to see them digging out of a what is now a six-game hole with 16 games to play. Well, you talk about it. I mean, it seems like from the outside, it's it's really easy to start working through the probability of, okay, this seems a little bit daunting to try to overcome in, in the small window that we do have left in the regular season. Is the vibe like that when you're in the clubhouse? Does it seem like some of the balloons been or been deflated here? It was kind of hard to get a gauge for that in the aftermath of Saturday, which felt like the real thud day after that doubleheader. They'd come in and lost three in two days to start this most important series of their season. But also they'd just done that after emptying their bench and throwing every available pitcher they had in a 15 inning, just their most draining physically and emotionally draining game of the season. So it's kind of tough to kind of gauge that. Honestly, one thing is Carlos Correa in that clubhouse this year, who's just been there, been in this situation so many different times in his career, whether it's the late pushes or just the important, meaningful games and that sort of thing. I think he really does do a good job of just keeping things level-headed and just, you know, keeping guys pepped up. I mean, they're not mathematically done. They're still like, okay, we have a talented group in here. There's still in theory reinforcements on the way. Um, I mean, and I think that's the healthy attitude to have, right? If you, yourself in your clubhouse are counting yourselves out before you're officially done. I mean, then who should be counting you in? So I think Correa has really done a good job of grounding that and um, the coaching staff in there as well. And I think there are a lot of positives for the season. I mean, this is a division that everyone was giving to the White Sox entering the year. So for the Twins to have led the division for as long as they did, they entered with just a 23% chance to win the division. And at one point, it was above 50% for a couple moments this year. And I know that, you know, for fans, that's not exactly something they're going to hang their hat on. But I do have to imagine for the organization, when you take a step back, you can solve that moment. And they can have that moment that, hey, no one saw this coming. And we did manage to have a much better season than the odds makers or whoever you want to say was anticipating. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that's easy to forget is that this was a last place team last season uh, with no clear pitching staff entering the year. I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, and I think all the prognostications and I think odds and everything like that entering the year had the Twins as a 500 or roughly above team. And this is something that we as the kind of writers on the beat have talked about a fair bit. That's probably roughly around where this team is going to end up, you know, like and that's the in the AL Central. That's going to be enough to, you know, be a top three team and push for 
the title toward the end of the year. But this is kind of where this team was always expected to end up. It's that it's more heartbreaking in a sense, I think, for Twins fans because they got off to such a strong start and they led the division for such a long time. And they were so, so aggressive at the trade deadline where everybody else sat pat. And it just felt like a lot did have to go wrong, whether it was injuries or bullpen meltdowns or a whole host of things in between um, for the Twins to kind of get to the point in the season where they did lose that lead and ultimately doesn't look like they're going to get it back. So we'll, we'll let you get out of here to be able to, you know, get, eat lunch, do your pregame stuff. But before you go, I do have one last question of uh, the hard-hitting stuff. Which do you think was better, the seventh inning stretch or the 14th inning stretch performance of take me out to the ball game? Let me tell you, I have seen now three 14th inning stretches um, in my four seasons on the beat, including two in the span of two weeks in 2019 when the Twins played 18 and 19 inning games in the span of, I think it was either 10 or 11 days. And I think we were talking about this that night too, uh, the other night. Once it gets past like 12 or 13 innings, I just, I'm on my second wind and I'm just cheering for chaos because at that point I'm just loopy. I'm just like, all right, we're just committed to this. I'm going to be here till like 2 a.m. So why not just have fun with it and get some crazy record breaking stuff out of it? That's exactly how I am. My mom had messaged me saying, oh, I hope you guys are able to get home soon or I hope you can get there. And I said, I hate how much I like to witness chaos and witness history because I'm rooting for myself to be here until 4 a.m. at this point. So I'm along the same lines. I know Sarah is, too. Yeah. And I checked in with uh, Dylan Bundy, the start, the starting pitcher in the clubhouse the next day, and he said that he had cleated up to like get in that game in some capacity if needed. And I was like, it was a disservice that we did not get to see that. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Doe, thank you so much. Thank you for all the, uh, all the insight. Great to have you on. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me as part of your slice of baseball. I love this. Thanks Doe. I'll see you in like, you know, an hour. <laughs> yeah. I'll catch you in a bit. All right. Awesome. That was absolutely awesome. So glad we were able to talk to Doe and he was able to join us. I know I'm probably going to be going over and talking with him all about this again in a couple minutes when we wrap up here, but it was nice to have him on our show. Great talking to him. And when we come back, we can get into so much more outside of the AL Central. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Ballpark Dimensions with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I mean, we have so much to get into with stats-wise, and it's my favorite thing because I can just sit back and just, you know, listen to you rattle off all of your expertise and everything that makes you uh, slangs on sports. So um, I think the Dodgers are right in your wheelhouse this year, though, because 
they just never seem to go away. Like, no matter what, they keep doing incredible things. They've already clinched everything. The hype is over until the postseason starts, yet they're still coming up with ways to just be really fun and really relevant and really enjoyable to talk about. I know you have a list of things here to get to. Yeah, so when we were getting ready for this podcast, I was trying to think, okay, what are we going to talk about? And I know I mentioned that every week, we kind of think over the weekend, what are the biggest topics? And I got this idea of like this week in wild Dodger stats. And I feel like we could come up with a, or I could, uh, but we could come up with a list of just insane stats for the Dodgers pretty much every day of the year. So I'm going to try to sum up just a few. But, I mean, we've talked about this. I feel like we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But I really feel like they're at the point where they're so good, everyone expects them to be so good, that we're not talking enough about how good they are. And, of course, the only thing that matters for them this year is actually winning the World Series, you know, you look at teams make the playoffs in a lot of years in a row. And the question is, are you the Braves who made it 14 straight years and won one World Series? Or are you the Yankees who had that dynasty in the 90s and into the 2000s? So the Dodgers who have made the playoffs now for 10 straight years are trying to be the Yankees. To do that, they need another title. But we're going to give them credit for what they've done so far this year. So this was one of my favorite stats I've looked up in a while. In part because it involves some fun Excel stuff and really nerdy things that here I am admitting. But (laughs) Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman are all top 10 in position player war on Fangraphs right now. And of course... They hit one, two, and three in the Dodgers lineup. So 35 teams since 1900 have had at least three of the top 10 on that position player war list for a season. Only eight of those involved a leadoff hitter, and none were the one, two, three hitters in a lineup. And of course, this is more a testament to modern lineup construction Your leadoff hitter used to be a guy who would get on base and kind of a singles hitter, not necessarily someone who's going to be Mookie Betts with 34 home runs. So a lot of this is also about 2022 and where the game is. But even still, the Dodgers are going to be the ones to do this for the first time. And you sort of alluded to it before, but it just seems so ridiculous to me that this team can seem like they're underappreciated in a way. And I know we talked about this in the last few weeks, but it's just unbelievable how little they are actually talked about. I know that they are talked about. It's hard not to because of who they are and what they've done. But you see these things and you hear these things and what you're putting out in front of us right now It's really unbelievable what they have, what they've done, and what they could do. And it doesn't seem like they are the main focal point of the season. And somehow they're flying a little bit under the radar. And it's going to be fun as we get closer to the regular season, or the end of the regular season, where this could go and what they could do in the postseason. And 
I know that there's a, a lot of hype about different teams. I know Aaron Judge is stealing the show with the Yankees who are going to be in the postseason. And you have different maybe headlines and talking points and focal points to be able to go into the playoffs with. And none of them seem to be the Dodgers. And it's just unbelievable to me that you can be this good and this underappreciated in a way. And I think it could be fun to watch them kind of steamroll in a way through the postseason. You never know what's going to happen, obviously, because they're talked about like this so many times. They're so good like this so many times. And you would think that they have more World Series victories than what they have. It seems like they're always in it like this. But this seems like a team that can just be really sneaky, even though everything on paper shows that they should be this good. Uh, And I think it'll be fun to watch them continue to thrive. It will be. And, you know, one of my favorite notes about them is that they lead the majors right now in runs scored and runs allowed. So most runs scored, fewest runs allowed. Entering this year, they had done that for the National League in four straight seasons, which is tied for the longest streak by any team leading its league in both categories with the 1936-39 Yankees. So they'll set that record this year. But as I said, they don't just lead the NL this year. They lead the majors. So they would be the seventh team since 1900 to lead the majors in both, joining the 01 Mariners, 1944 Cardinals, 39 Yankees, 27 Yankees, 06 Cubs and 02 Pirates. Those are 1906 and 1902, to be clear. So only one team since expansion, which was in 1961, has done this with more teams in the field and all of that. I mean, it's just incredible. And again, it's only going to matter if they win in the World Series, if they win in the playoffs. I get that, and I understand that narrative. But regardless of what happens, this is an insane amount of dominance, and I do think it sets them up really well for the postseason. I mean, they were they were talking last night on the Sunday Baseball broadcast about how they're in a position where they can really do whatever they want with their postseason rotation. A guy like Andrew Heaney could maybe go three innings, but if he's pitching well, maybe he's going deeper. They just have so many different arms that they're not necessarily going to have a rotation that's top to bottom. Here are four guys we're bringing out, but especially with different schedules this year in the postseason, with the way that it's set up and everything different off days, they're set up really well to just have arms. We don't even have to say starters, relievers, anything like that. They just have guys who are going to go out there and throw. Yeah, and I I think that's an easy way to be able to just figure things out where you just have arms and it's like, okay, we can piece this together regardless of whatever our situation is. It'll be fun. I think this could be a really interesting postseason run for them. I, I'm never the one that hops on the, the favorite bandwagon because it always just seems like it's too simple. It seems like it's too easy to believe it. But 
for some reason, this team has just been so underrated, and I can't get over that. It seems so strange that I think that a team who was the first to clinch, the first to uh, clinch their division and start running with this here, I think that could be the one that's an obvious choice, but the right choice? Question mark? Not really sure, but we'll we'll see from there. I know I know we're really excited to get into talking about Judge and Otani again because it's just it's the same thing, different week, but like also different at the same time because they're continually doing different stuff. They're making ridiculous headlines. Um, we're back to the everyone in the press box. We're all trying to be the first to update the rest of us of the Judge home run counter. Last night, this is Monday that we're recording it. It was what two two homers and and one game. I was like, I swear, I just saw this not too long ago that he hit one. Did I dream that, or is this already number two? Uh, the pace that he's on is stupid. It's ridiculous. It's so much fun. Uh, I love every second of it. And then here you are having Shohei Otani continue to do things that everyone wants to begin the argument on Twitter once again of who's better, who's who should win the MVP, who's more valuable, who's doing better things. And it's just like, let's just take a step back and look at what they're actually doing uh, to entertain the baseball world and not have to get angry about it for a second and just sit there and let it soak in of, oh my gosh, we get to watch this every single day. I was going to say, could we go this whole podcast without saying those three letters? And I'm not even going to say them. That a word that gets handed out in November, I'm not even alluding to it because for me, that's not even the point here. And we talked about this last week when we had our, or two weeks ago with our title, You Need to Calm Down, which I was very proud of. <laughs> Two really great players. This is amazing for baseball. Mm -hmm. And that is my takeaway. And I return to the fact that one winning that award that I'm not even going to name at the end of the year and the other one not is not saying that the guy who didn't win it is bad. They're mm -hmm. both incredible in very different ways. And it's amazing. It is amazing that we get to watch all of these historic chases. I mean, I'll get into some of what Otani is chasing. We know what Judge is chasing. We also have pool holes in the National League. I mean, there are so many things to keep an eye on. And it's amazing that these guys are giving that to us. And I love that people have passion over the game. That is important. That's what makes baseball the best. But the passion has to be polite and not mean. I just don't see the point in yelling at others over, oh, you're wrong because of this and that. But anyway, that's just not my personality. But speaking of Judge, I think we need to point out the fact that he might win the Triple Crown. So we've been talking all year about how he is very likely he's two home runs right now from time Roger Maris's AL record for home runs in a season. He's on pace for 65, which would, of course, break that record. Yesterday, as you mentioned, was his 11th multi-homer game, 
which tied Sammy Sosa in 1998 and Hank Greenberg in 38 for the most in a season. But he's also hitting really well. So he has, of course, a hefty lead in home runs. He's leading by 20 right now. And he also has 127 RBI, which leads the majors. And he's hitting 316, which is actually third in the American League. Luisa Rise, who Doe covers, is hitting 317. Sandra Bogarts is second, also hitting 316. But when they determine the batting title, it isn't just those first three digits. So if you do the math, Bogarts is slightly ahead of Judge by like that fourth decimal place. That'll all work out by the end of the year. But the point is, he is one batting average point off the lead. And this is just crazy. And it's such a great point for Judge as well, that he isn't a home run hitter who is hitting 250. He is a home run hitter hitting 316. And it's funny because we talked about Goldschmidt potentially winning a triple crown. That was kind of the hot topic about a month ago. And then here Aaron Judge is like, wait a minute. I already have two of them sealed, no question, with home runs and RBIs. And hey, I'll raise my batting average and maybe I'll just do this too. Okay, so you had your soapbox moment of wanting to appreciate both of these guys. Now I need to take my turn because I think I am... I have an old school mindset when it comes to some of these stats and, and I know how important every stat is that has come out since the basic ones that we've ever looked at. And I know to so many people that batting average is dead. It doesn't tell much of the story. OPS is something to really look into more than average. There's different things that you can start to, to justify. You can look at batting average of balls in play. You can do all these different things. I am just such a supporter of batting average still. And I, I don't think I can ever change that because it does tell some of the story. It does tell uh, how frequently they're on base. I mean, okay, I get it. There's an on-base percentage. I get it. But, but it does tell some of the story. And to me, to be able to have a hitter who's over 300, especially in a time where batting average is lower than what we had seen it decades ago um, to see him thrive the way he is in the power statistics also still be able to hit for average to me that is just awesome I mean it's unbelievable it's really impressive uh, to be what 20 home runs more than anyone else in the league and then also be up here uh, one point off as of today at the time of our recording of the highest average in, in the AL. And it's just so impressive to me. I, I won't, I, batting average is important and I'm going to stand by that. I know so many people will be like, eh, whatever, it's not. It is to me and I'm going to allow myself to believe in it. And I don't care if anyone else does because I do. And that is my moment. So uh, I really think that that's, it's just so impressive. His season is so impressive. There's no really any other word for me to say for it. So it's been really fun to watch. Okay, first of all, I don't <laughs> think batting average is like some evil. I do think judging a pitcher on pitcher wins is silly. But mm -hmm. even that, uh, 
those mattered pitchers. Batting mm -hmm. average tells us how often you get a hit. That's very important. I do think hitting the ball hard, all of these other things matter as well. But I am not the stats person who hates batting average, so I just wanted to put that out there. Because this is why, I don't this want... is why we're friends, Sarah. This is it. This exactly. Is it. You support me even if anyone... I don't have great ideas. First of all, that's never true. <laughs> but I didn't want anyone to think there was trouble in Ballpark Dimensions Paradise, so I just had to mention that. <laughs> but we do have to talk about it a tiny bit as well, because we sold it that way. So mm -hmm. a couple of things I have looked into with Shohei Otani lately. So he is now, if we combine the pitches he has faced and thrown this year, so batting and pitching, he is now up above 4,600. It was 4,640 entering yesterday, then he got four plate appearances, so it definitely went up. That had already broken his record of 4,621 from last year for the most pitches faced plus thrown in a season since pitch counts have been tracked, which is 1988. The wonderful Jason Bernard helped me run that, ran it for me, helped me. I said the question, he did it. Anyway. Now you know what it's like for me. <laughs> But yes, of course, someone like Nolan Ryan probably had more, you know, back in the day, whatever else you want to say. We only have pitched turtles since 88. In that span, Otani has gone past guys like Brandy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, David Cohn was down on that list as well. It's just on another level. And I know when I tweeted that out, people were like, well, catchers are part of every pitch or, well, you know, Freddie Freeman standing at first. And yeah, that's all true. But this is about batting and pitching. And I just thought it was incredible. And another one along those lines, which does go back further, is looking at plate appearances and batter's face. So it's the same idea. But instead of every individual pitch, it's just each individual plate appearance, whether as a batter or a pitcher. So Otani this year has 600 plate appearances on the dot and has faced 593 batters. Right now, the only guys to do that have at least 500 of each in the season are him this year, him last year, and 1919 Babe Ruth. But once he faces seven more batters and gets to 600, he will be the only guy since at least 1900 to do that in a season. Have 600 batters faced and 600 plate appearances. I mean, it's just incredible. And I really, it was funny. Over the weekend, he made some really good plays on the mound as a, you know, as a fielder wall pitcher. And people were kind of coming out with, yeah, he's a great fielder too. You know, why does nobody talk about this? And again, I will never go the negative route there, but it is a really good thing to be cognizant of that just because he's a pitcher, so he doesn't really have fielding war because he's not an outfielder, 
He's not playing a position. He's a DH and a pitcher. He still has to field his position, protect his head from a comebacker, all of these things. And he does a great job at that as well. I don't think there's ever enough words in the English language to put together a perfect description of what he's been able to do. It's been just, it's special. It's, there's no other words for it. Like we say every single time, the only person you can ever relate him to is Babe Ruth. And he's already starting to crush all of those types of records anyway. So it's unbelievable. It's, it's so fun to be able to have this season that Aaron Judge is having the things that Aaron, that Shohei Otani is going to do year in and year out now, it seems like, because this is just who he is. It's not like he had some fluke last year of, okay, this is really special. He did both pitching and hitting really, really well, and then it's just going to die out. No, I think this is here for the long haul. This is who Shohei Otani is, and it's really cool to be in this time of baseball to be able to witness it all. So. We'll leave this topic before we have to run the risk of saying Sarah's forbidden three letters. We'll get out of this because we just want to appreciate everything that these two are doing and not compare the two and not have to worry about that nasty little award that'll come out in a few weeks. So um, when we come back, we can continue with our positive vibes and we can talk about our favorite things that happened in baseball this week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Ballpark Dimensions with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, why don't you just start us off and uh, we can test again to see if we get close on maybe some of the ideas that we shared of the best moment in baseball from the past week. So at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I'm going to go yet again with the mic dub moments from Sunday Night Baseball. So we have to talk about Hanser Alberto, who is, as we know from our friend and Dodgers reporter, Juan Terribio. He is a great personality, Juan, but also Hanser, who is who <laughs> I meant. And, uh, you know, Mookie Betts and so many of the Dodgers have talked about how important he is. And, you know, for anyone who doesn't know who Hanser Alberto is, He is, you know, a utility player for the Dodgers. He's been on a handful of teams. And he is kind of the heartbeat of that team. He has all of the energy whenever there's a home run. The sports in LA crew always shows him celebrating. He's also set a record for position player pitching appearances in the divisional era this year. So he was mic'd up. He was on the headset in the dugout during Sunday baseball. And he was incredible. So his father, 
is actually a play-by-play -play broadcaster and a sports broadcaster overall in the Dominican Republic. He had at one point been the play-by-play -play for Gigantes del Chibao, which is one of the uh, Lidon, one of the uh, Dominican Winter League. Sorry, it's Lidon, Liga Dominicana. So the Dominican Winter League uh, teams which I watch every game, so I'm used to hearing play-by-play -play in Spanish. I watch them, I listen in Spanish. I took Spanish in school, but part of it is it's just so beautiful to listen to. So for parts of an inning, he took over for Carl Ravitch and called the game in Spanish, you know, when he mentioned that his dad does this, so he's very familiar. He was outstanding. You could hear in what he was saying how much he knows about every player on the team, how much he knows about, I believe, the Giants were hitting. He was talking about Tyro Estrada at one point. He is such a lover of baseball, and you could really hear that, and it was just incredible. And, uh, you know, it was just so fun. And I mentioned the pitching he said that he wishes he could face Albert Pujols so he could give up home run number 700. I mean, he just had all the personality, but I also wanted to mention, so Cody Bellinger was mic'd up in the field, the sort of traditional chat with him while he's on defense. And it was a very quick inning, probably the quickest inning anyone's been mic'd up all year. But one thing that was brought up was a moment where his wife, I think his wife and daughter threw out a first pitch, or his wife threw out a first pitch, his daughter was there. It was on his bobblehead day. And his daughter is a baby born, I believe, over the last year. And he was talking about fatherhood. And he said, you never realize how much you can love someone until you have a kid. And I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, I was practically tearing up to hear that from someone young in fatherhood learning all of this. So I just thought that was incredible as well. So Hanser and Cody, those were my moments of the week. I love that. And I love the, the fact that these mic'd up moments are providing so many things for people to walk away with. I, I, we t talk about it endlessly, like you said, we're a broken record at this point, but that is just such a great thing for the game. It's so fun to be able to watch it, to hear guys sound more natural, not like these larger-than-life figures. It's just like they're humans like everyone else. So love all of those moments. Um, I not, not for me to sound like a broken record, but uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I really like kids, um, <laughs> and I like to steer down that path as many times as I can. I became a puddle when I saw Roberto Clemente's grandson. Yes. Oh, my goodness. When he threw out the first pitch at City Field with his dad, of course, you, have, you had the three generations of R Roberto Clemente. And let me just tell you, when he had the RC3 yes. jersey on, because oh he's gosh. the third, they have the same name, he's the third, he's just one so adorable that it actually physically hurts like he's so cute that it's just like illegal in a way um mm -hmm. i loved him 
And the way that he stood beside his dad as they're announcing the two of them on, I guess I should explain that it was Roberto Clemente Day, and that's why they were being honored on Thursday. So uh, preface that, but back to the good things of the children. Um, the way that when they were being announced and he had his glove on his left hand and he just starts shaking the glove like he's walked down a million red carpets or been in every parade possible, the way that he was able to turn from left to right and just keep like waving his glove in the air. He was so adorable. And then I think it was Curtis Granderson who was catching him. Um, Bone to pick with him. This little dude, RC3, which I love that name, has the perfect pitch and Granderson drops it. I'm like, bro, you just ruined the frame job on this little man's perfect strike. So, one, that's on you. That is 100% an E2. That is on that that pitch was outstanding, which I loved because he's so little. The glove's bigger than he is, and he's out there with this huge leg kick to be able to muster enough energy to get the ball to the plate. And he's only halfway between the pitcher's mound and the plate anyway. And it's so cute to see the energy that went into it. Throws this perfect pitch and Granderson messes it up. I'm sitting there like, bro, what are you doing? Um, But it was so cute. The way that Granderson ran out there and he was so excited and the little kid jumps and Granderson jumped and they jumped to do this high five and so, so cute. I don't think there's any way to represent a man than having his family out there. Everything that Roberto did for this, this league, for this world, his community impact was just unmatched and that's why we have this award every single year to to recognize guys who have made just the smallest impact compared to what Roberto Clemente did Um, I think it's really really special but there's no better way to honor him than to have his son and his grandson out on the field and oh my goodness did RC3 steal the show he stole my heart and there was no way that I was picking anything else the jersey alone, oh. RC, and then I, 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 just so perfect. And of course, I don't know if we mentioned, but the reason that uh, Granderson was there as a former Clemente winner, mm-hmm. and the reason they were throwing out at City Field was because the Mets were hosting the Pirates. Mm-hmm. on Roberto Clemente Day. And everything that happened on Clemente Day is really its own sort of a moment. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays fielded the first ever lineup that was entirely consisting of players born in Latin American countries. Awesome. I don't know whether they intended to set a record my sort of read on it was that they did plan to start all of these guys in honor of clemente Mm. while wearing number 21 but i don't think they knew that they were doing something historic based on the timing of the pr of sharing uh the note and everything i think they sort of figured it had happened before i'm just guessing i don't know uh, that was sort of how I saw it. But anyway, we could go on and on about everything. But you have a game to cover. It is literally time for first pitch. Yes. I have to watch the game from home. Yep. So uh, we should get to that. Yeah, I think that'll wrap it up on this week's podcast. And now I'm just so excited because I'm just picturing RC3. So I'm in a great mood for this game. Even if it goes another 15 innings, bring it on. Let's do it. 
Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we will see you next week.